I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. The other message I wanted to bring this week was overshadowed late by this message. It seemed to be something I need to talk about this morning. It's not something new or nothing we haven't heard, but it's something we need to hear. And it has to do with healing. I'm not talking about just a number of people having the sniffles or momentary bout with some kind of a weakness or coughing or something. But not only that, but other things. There are sicknesses that are serious. There are things that get in your body and things that just don't want to go away. You hear what people say and you hear what other people have said about illnesses and how that some things are just there forever. You know, if you ever get this, it'll never go away. You're going to always have it. Or, you know, this is so serious that most of the time they just send you home because they can't do any more about it. And your mind gets trained that way when you grow up, that certain words mean death. Certain kind of an illness means you're impaired or whatever the rest of your life. Or a certain condition that seems to currently be in your system is going to take its toll. And those things weigh on your mind. And you go to church and you hear about divine healing or you hear about God's answer. And yet it doesn't seem like it's working that way for you. And you can get discouraged and you can get a little bit down. You can even begin to question, why bother? These are natural and normal things that happen to people. It's easy just to ignore the biblical message of healing. Just set it aside. Just get so disappointed with a lack of results of what it seems like the Bible is saying that you just set it aside and build a hospital. Call it Baptist, General, Lutheranism, Methodist, Jewish. Let's just build a hospital and let's see if maybe if we do our part, God will do his part and we'll join man's hand with God's hand. And, and then maybe the medical and the divine together can give us hope. When you come to the biblical message about healing, there's books now that are written that are opposed to that. God doesn't heal today. God doesn't do that. He did. He has in the past. But today he's given us something else by which he heals us, the medical world and medicines and doctors. Then occasionally you get disappointed with that because you pick up a paper that says, the last one I looked at the other day was 48,000 deaths a year occur because of hospital mistakes. That's a lot of people. That's more than it's in this room this morning. Honest people making honest mistakes. They're not people trying to take lives. They're just people that are busy, probably overworked, they're tired, you make mistakes, didn't mean to, we're sorry about it, but it happens. So, you know, there's a chance and you go that way, what God and the, the world join together might mess up too. You know, I say God and the world, meaning that's the way some people see it. I don't. I believe the Bible is true because what God said is forever settled. I don't need to add anything to it, and I certainly don't need to turn my head away from it. Just because it hasn't worked yet for certain people doesn't mean it does not work. I have my own testimony. I still remember years ago when I looked at the Bible and the message of healing. 
It was new. Nobody ever talked about that. We talked about medicine. We didn't talk about healing. It never occurred, as best I can remember, nobody ever discussed how good God was in healing. It just wasn't a thing you just believed, just you didn't do it. And I remember when it was taught, after I got saved and I began to read it, and people began to say it who sound like they know what they're talking about. And I began to investigate and look and then make a study of it. I found out that I can't escape the fact that this is in the Bible. Every question I have against it is answered over here so that I have no more questions. There's no more controversy between me and God about the message. And the question is, now what will you do with it? Now that your conscience or your convictions have been brought into the light of God's word, what are you going to do with it? Look at all the people it hadn't worked for. You think it'll work for you? Look at all the people that tried this and failed. Do you think it will work for you? Look at all the Pentecostals from which we usually get the message of healing. Charismatics, non-charismatics flee from this message. But here we are. What are you going to do with it? And so even with us, people like us who believe along these lines, preach that God does heal, that he's a healing God, even we have our questions. Even our conversations occasionally with each other question whether or not it really will work. We kind of have these moments when we're by ourselves, disappointed. I know this is true. I've been around me too long and I've been around you too long. I know what happens. It's the nature of man to question why things that he believes haven't worked yet. When will it work? And the devil's always there to say it won't work. If you've got a certain condition in your body, it ain't going anywhere. It's staying right there until your life is over. So you can quit getting your hopes up and quit all this praying and believing or fasting because it ain't going to work. And you and I both know that people do think like that. It's not right, but it's the natural course of the way a man thinks. As a man thinketh, so is he. So this morning, I want to talk about encouragement for healing, all of you, all of us, everybody, Anybody in this room that needs healing, that is seeking healing, that would like to see a change or have a, a divine effect in your body, changing a condition in your body, I want you to listen this morning because God has something to say about it. And one of the worst conditions in the Bible days is where we'll start, Matthew chapter 8, a leper. Now, I've seen a leper before. I know what they look like, and I know that it's a sentence of death. Not only are you forbidden to be around people because it's contagious, you're viewed as a living dead. You have nothing more to contribute to society. Your life is ended, though you're alive. We want nothing to do with you. So when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt... Thou can make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And the Bible says immediately he was clean. Wouldn't you like to have been there to see that? I would have. Maybe the fingers were gone at this time. The man I saw had no toes. It was just like they rotted off. It just rot. That's what I would call it. just rots away. Can't do much about it. There's flesh-eating things today that they say are like that. 
And all of a sudden, Jesus touched him. Didn't pray, didn't vibrate and shake, and he just touched him. Unemotionally, just touched him. And the Bible says immediately, where there was nothing, now there was something, if there was nothing. What was white and chalky and decaying flesh suddenly became just like ours. It was whole and complete the way God intended for flesh to be when he made man. And it was all back to normal the way God wanted it. All because he touched him. Now that was about as bad a physical condition in those days that you could find a leper. The difficulty that Jesus had at healing a leper was no more than touching. And that's how hard it was for God to deliver a leper. So let me tell you something. There's nobody in this room that has a serious problem that God cannot fix. There is nothing anybody in this room or listening or watching has anything so advanced that by a touch from our Lord, it completely goes away. And your day tomorrow is much brighter than your day was yesterday. And everything changes. But God can do that because he said he could. Now, again, the question today is, even when non-believers, that is, non-believers in healing, they believe in you know, the Bible, but they don't believe in this. They do not believe. They believe, as I've said so many times, they will admit that God can heal and that God has healed. But you cannot be sure or be so arrogant as to say that he will heal you simply because you have read it and you ask him to. You can't do that. That message that you preach when you say that is a message of error. That in preaching that you are misleading people. And that you're causing people to get their hopes up in something that's going to really disappoint them. And they point to history. Look at this one. Look at that one. Look at the great Charles Spurgeon or Moody, or they start mentioning great figures in history, people that God used, men or women, missionaries, great personalities. And so many of them, they point out because they've studied their lives, they died of some sickness. How can it be? They say, this is the world. The church says this. If God was going to heal anybody, wouldn't he have healed them? Because, you see, they see the fact that God's healing is for those who are working the hardest. So you can earn it. If you just do enough, you can earn it. So if you're just new in the Lord, forget it. Because you haven't done anything. You haven't built anything. You're a nobody, so it's not going to work for you. A friend of mine years ago, while I was early in my salvation, we had a heated discussion over this, as I've shared it before, that his uncle or aunt were great members of a church and they sacrificed and gave so much to the church and did so much and they were broke and they died both sick and he did not believe that God would heal people just because you asked because if he was going to heal anybody he would have surely healed them because look how hard they worked and how much they served him but the promises of God are not earned you do not by effort merit God's healing or salvation. It's a gift. It, it is given. It is not given because you're active and busy. It is given because you believe. 
We're all equal. The least of us can believe. This leper here, he said, Lord, I know what you've got. Now, I'm adding this to it, okay? The leper said, Lord, I know what you're capable of. I can't really define who you are, but I know that what you've got and what you're able to do can cure me of all the problems I've got. And if you're willing, if you're willing, I can be healed. That's faith. Remember the centurion came to Jesus and said, my servant lies at home sick of the palsy. Who can heal that? What medicine can heal that? What medical procedure can cause that just to go away? The centurion, like the woman with the issue of blood, had spent all that she had, and she was no better. They all come to Jesus because they recognize that Jesus has what I need. I can't define it. I cannot write a paper on how he does it or how this power or virtue flows from him to the sick. I can't explain that. All I know is that it does. And all these people, that, whether this woman with the issue of blood or the centurion, they went to Jesus and said, you've got it. Can I have it? And he said, yes. Gave it to him because they came to him. They wanted it. He knew they believed it. That was a desire of their heart. The Syrophoenician woman whose child was, was not normal. She said, would you fix this child? You can do it. And he did. Why do you suppose God put all of these kind of things in the Bible for us to read? Is it not to encourage us? Well, then what discourages us? People. People who don't say what God says. I can tell you this, that if they speak not according to this word, they have no light. And light and darkness are opposites. And darkness in any form is evil. And when you open up the door to something that's not of God and you begin to entertain it, the, the law, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It all comes back to place. So as we look at some things this morning, let me assure you this. God gives us good reasons to count on him to trust him, and to believe him for healing and deliverance in your body. He does that. First thing I want to deal with is the promise. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. Because the question we must begin with this morning is, concerning healing, is it a promise or is it an option? Is it God's option to employ when he wants to? Not because you need it or you want it, but because he wants to. Is it a promise? It is, is it something that God has given to us that he must bind himself to? That's his word. Doesn't he watch over his word to perform it? Would you agree with me that when God spoke his word, everything he said he is willing to do? 
Well, he says here, verse 20, for all the promises of God are in him. Now, I would say the him is Christ. That's who we're talking about. All the promises of God are in him, yes, or yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. These promises are for us to appropriate unto his glory. And by not appropriating promises, we could say we are robbing him of his glory. When God did wonderful and miraculous things, the people were astonished. In some cases, the Bible said they glorified God. Whoa! He said here, all these promises that God have made are in him, yes, and in him, amen, unto the glory and the praise and the worship of God by us. These promises are ours to believe. Now, let me give you another translation. It says it just a little differently, not that it's right, but here's another way that somebody else looked at it. For however many are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore, also through him, let the amen be said by our voices to the glory of God. Now, whether that is a right translation or not, I don't know, but it's there for me to read. But it begins by saying, where we have to start this morning, all the promises are yes. Are you with me? Every promise made is yes. There are conditions to promises that prevent them from happening, but all the promises are intended by God to come to pass, and God said they're all yes. God doesn't make a promise for something and then say, well, in your case, it's best that you didn't get it. That would mean like God made a promise, but he said no. People teach that. Well, God knows what's best for us. You can ask whatever you want to, but leave it up to God as to what you get. Well, if I believe that, there would be no reason for faith. It wouldn't matter what I prayed. He's going to give me whatever he thinks I ought to have in spite of what I pray. So quit praying. Let it be what it's going to be. Then I have a problem with all these admonitions in the Bible to pray. Ask what you will and it shall be done. What things ever you desire when you pray. So I begin to make the connection. Not only do I have to pray, but when you pray, believe. I've got to believe. But I'm not going to believe a promise if I'm not convinced that God made it. And I'm not going to believe it that if God made it and he said yes to it, that he might say no to me. I've got to clear all this in my mind. I can't just take some preacher's word for it or what everybody says about it. I've got to find out for myself and get this right in my own mind. Here's another translation. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why we utter the amen to the glory of God. I like that. Again, I don't know if that's exactly right or not. The King James Bible simply says that all the promises of God are in him, yea, and in him, amen. I like that best. Because where I do, when I approach the word of God and I begin to read it, there are several thousand promises in the Bible. Some seem too good for people to believe, and therefore they just say, well, that couldn't be for today. But yet it's there. So I read it, and the challenge from my heart, the way God works with me is, will you believe that? 
Well, I'd like to believe that, but who's it ever worked for? Quit looking at other people. What did I say? Did I say that this is the way? Walk in, did I say I would do this? And I say, yes. So this is where my faith starts. The very basis for my faith, if I have it, is in a promise that God made. You see, by definition, a promise is a verbal agreement made by one person or one party to another, which binds the person who made the promise to do something specific. If I told you I will give you $5 for doing something, that's a promise. If you do what I ask you to do, then you can expect me to give you five bucks. Isn't that true? Well, if God makes a promise, does he not, as the Bible says, watch over his word to perform it? Does he not, for our sakes, to encourage us to, to use the word bind, does he not bind himself or attach himself to what he said as a basis for your faith in him to do it? He can do no more. That's all you get. The promise from the Almighty, I am the Lord, I will do, and then 8,000 promises. While we're languishing and while we're flustered and frustrated and discouraged and walking around half-hearted and disappointed, God has 8,000 promises. He said, they're still mine. They still work. What's wrong with you? Says this is what he says to me, not you. What's wrong with you? This is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. Well, how can I with this problem? What did I promise about your problem? Well, you said you would fix it. Well, then believe me. Well, it doesn't look like it. And God will say, I didn't tell you you would look better when you prayed. I didn't tell you you would sound better when you prayed. I just said, trust me to do what I said when you pray. Act like it's done. Well, people will laugh at me. They'll do worse than that. I want you to live your life like what you read is going to work. That it's real, that God said it. It's a promise made by the Lord. The promise that God has made to us, to me and you, it has given us hope and determination that God who cannot lie will do what he said. Now, folks, I have nothing else to base my faith on. You know, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. If God hasn't said it, then I can't expect God to do it. If somebody else says, well, maybe God will do this or maybe God will do that. Is that what he said? If he hadn't said that, then that's not what I can believe him. But when he makes me a promise, he gives me a reason. He gives me a reason to act like it's true. That's what faith does. Faith simply acts like that what God said is true. Whether any evidence to that truth is verifiable or not can be seen. I just act like it's true because God said it. You may still limp. You may still cough. What's true is not what man says. What's true is what God says. That's what's true.
They may be trying, but God is certain. Because if he said it, he'll do it. Now, a second point along these lines. Turn to Numbers. I love this verse, Numbers 23. Can God lie? Can God make a promise and then change his mind? Remember, all of you, we start with a promise. We can go nowhere else until we go there first. What does God promise? What statement, what has God said in the Bible that I can see and know that that's the promise? What is it? I got to start there. I have no faith apart from that. What does the Bible say? Now, second question. Will he change his mind? Did he mean it? Did he really mean what he said in whatever promise? Prosperity, healing, deliverance, blessing, healing, health. Did he mean it? How do you know he did? You got to have a word for this. And you got one in your lap. You're looking at it. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither is he the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, will he not do it? If he spoke it, will he not make it good? That's what he says. Now, the question is, God has spoken. What will you do with it? Will we just memorize that, sing a song about it? God is not a man that he should. Are we just going to sing about it and rejoice in the good word? Or are we going to believe it? God promised, and God confirms the promise by saying, I will not lie. If I have said it, I will do it. Now, come to a third consideration about these promises. Okay, he promised, and he's not going to change his mind. Well, what if it's a hard one? Can it be so difficult that maybe God would have to go somewhere and get somebody else to help him fix somebody? Would God need to go say, well, in this case, this is over my head. You need to go to the hospital. No. No. Now, you know he doesn't say that. But what does he say? Well, Abraham, uh, Sarah's going to bear your child. Abraham, no doubt, like you and I would be thinking, you know, back when the day she was young and probably believing or hoping she'd have a baby, this would be easy to believe. But now that we're old, I mean, Abraham was a year older than I am when he made this promise. That doesn't seem to be so difficult. But it didn't actually happen until he was 100. Now, when I'm 100, I'll tell you how 100 years old feels. <laughs> Who knows? What are you laughing at? You, know, you never know. Got a lot of gospel to preach. So, Sarah, and God says, why did she laugh? Genesis 18, is anything too hard for the Lord? But, Lord, she, this, this is an old woman. Well, what if I said, wait till she's 480 years old? Could I do it then? What if I made her to live until she's 1,000 years old and just all a wrinkled skeleton? Do you think I could do it then? Could I? 
What's too hard for God? Jeremiah 32, he said in verse 17, in verse 27, in Jeremiah 32, he said, nothing is too hard for God. We sing the song, nothing is too difficult for thee. Nothing is too difficult. That's what Jeremiah said in the very first chapter of Luke. For with God, nothing is impossible. Remember that? Luke 1, Nothing is impossible with God. The virgin birth. A lot of people can't believe in the virgin birth. How can a woman who has never known a man that way conceive and have a child? That's impossible. The very kind of situation that God manifests his power in. Like walking on the water, raising the dead, healing lepers, causing virgins to have babies, old women to have babies. Nothing is difficult for God. No situation, no disease, no anything is too hard for God. I mean, the things we fret over, who will I marry? Do you think that's hard for God to arrange? Yeah, but I'm already 28. 28, you're really pretty much over the hill, aren't you? Halfway to 56. <laughs> what are you fretting about? There's promises galore. Seek first the kingdom. Let God add all these things to you. Quit listening to all the people that are so forlorn about stuff. Let God take care of that. You seek first the kingdom. But nothing is too hard for God. Making preachers out of this row with most of this front row here. That's easy. Moses was a basket case. So there's hope for all of us. There is. There's hope for all of us. Nothing's hard. There's no door that can't be opened. There's no amount of funds that is needed that can't be brought about to have what God wants. He may put us to the test and prove us to see how long we will stand. Are you willing to go all the way? Are you willing to just... Like this building and be at peace here and quit fretting? Are you willing to do that and let him bring you up? Of course he is. And then one day, and you go, wow. And I think, why wasn't I younger when I got this? Everything's on the right schedule. God is in control of all things. And to you especially, he's given his word. The secret things are hidden from the world. The secret place of the Most High is a place of revelation. It's a place where things are told you that you may not be able to explain, but that bless you and encourage you. And when you come down off the mountain like Moses, having spent time with God, you're not afraid of what you're going to walk into. You're not afraid of diseases. You know, the evening news, the world news... The only advertisements on the world news are drugs. And people get their minds filled with that stuff. Every drug, the part where they start talking fast at the end, every drug is deplorable. I mean, you go in with a toenail problem and the drug will fix your toenail and then destroy your kidneys. And maybe have a stroke in the boot, you know. They got stroke medicine. They got medicine for this and for that. And yet people are so desperate for healing. 
And yet when you tell them what God says, oh, I don't want to hear all that. And therefore, this is shut to them forever. But it's not to you. These things are revealed to us. God doesn't have to show us these things or encourage us in this area. We've heard it before. He didn't have to do it again, but he wants to. God wants to get all the credit and praise for all the good, wonderful things he's going to do for us. And he is. There may be a lot of sorrow in the world this year, but God's going to bless us here. Amen. He is. Till we find ourselves going, praise God. Whoa. Amen. I like that because that's going to cause me to jump up and down. In this, our new building is going to have a center aisle. We're going to be able to run. <laughs> a whole new generation of runners. The only church in town that goes to church puts on tennis shoes when they get there and then puts their church shoes on to go home. <laughs> because they're believers. God hasn't disappointed us. We had to ponder it. We've had to wrestle with it. We've had to ask, why? What's wrong? And then one day, he does it. You wake up one morning and what you thought you were going to fight again today, you realize... When you get out of the shower, hey, I'm well. And God just does it like that. Spend a little time in with him alone. Thank him for it. Just spend some time giving glory to God because that's what these promises do. Now, back to God and his promises. Can he change his mind? How do you know? Turn to Psalm 119 and verse... 89. I love this verse too because this is my assurance that what I read and what I'm trusting him for is going to be there forever. In the big chapter, Psalm 119 and verse 89. Concerning his promises or his word, he said, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled where? In heaven. I am sure when we get to heaven, however this works out and turns out, I'm sure the word of God will be there. I'm sure we will be taught, and everything that it says, we will know it. I am sure that everything that we wondered about, all the questions, all the this and that, all the theological problems, it'll all be cleared up. Because one thing that'll never pass away, heaven and earth may pass away, but the word of God shall abide and endure forever. Amen. Not only that, but when God first spoke it, he never changed it. What he said once is forever said. And he said, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled or established in heaven. That's our home base, heaven. And his word is forever settled because the Bible said he watches over his word to do what? To perform it. He said, I will hasten my word to do it, which means he will watch over to perform it, keep it. He never sleeps. He's always awake looking at his word, watching over his word. That's why in Isaiah 55, his word does not come back empty. You'll never know in heaven that nobody's there. There's somebody always there. And when the word comes up there, there's a response from God. God will cause his word to come to pass. He will confirm his word to you. 
He doesn't have to, but because he gave you faith and he opens your eyes to see a promise, he obligates himself to you to perform his word. And if you'll meet the conditions, they will come to pass. They really will. Didn't he say in Psalm 107 that he sent his word and healed them? He sent his word and healed them. Didn't he say in Proverbs 4 when he said, attend to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let these words escape or depart from your heart. Keep them in the midst of it. He said, for they are life to those that find them. And he said, they are health to all their flesh. Did you know that God said his word is health to your flesh? That while people are seeking medicinal relief, God has a gospel that's designed to eliminate your need for anything else. But it depends on what you want to do with what he said. Again, to go back where we started, he can only make a promise. While he, as God, could make you listen, that would make you some mechanical, obedient soul, and you wouldn't be out of your heart. So you're given a chance to not listen or you're given a chance to listen. You make that decision. If you want to hear, you'll hear it. If you want to see it, you'll see it. And when you see it, God will give you in your heart. He'll cause faith to come. Faith comes by hearing. And then he'll show you more in the Bible that not only... Did he say that? But he can do that. Nothing is too hard for him. He won't change his mind. It's forever settled in heaven. It's up to me now. I heard what you said. I did come to church to pay attention. I have applied my mind to understanding. I have gone home and meditated, you say. I took notes so I could rehash this or I listened to a message again because this thing is so important to me. I want to get this down in my heart. I can still remember years ago as a testimony, years ago, in writing down a list of verses. And through the years, I refined it and got it more in a right kind of a, a procedure all the verses on divine healing and memorized them. And more than once when my children were not doing well, whether they were coughing, sneezing, or sick, or, you know, looking like they're like that, I brought them and set them on my lap, quoted Proverbs 4, your word, O God. I put them in remembrance. Your word, O Lord, is medicine to our flesh. Now, my child needs some, your medicine. So I begin to say, you said in Exodus, you said in Genesis, and you said in Deuteronomy, and you said in Proverbs, and you said in Psalms, and you said in Isaiah, and you said in Matthew, and you said in James, Lord, Lord you said all of this. You have drawn me to believe these things. I cannot make this child well. If I were you, he wouldn't even have the problem, but I'm the recipient of what you have to say, and I'm counting on you to do this. And every one of them got healed. It didn't happen while they were in my lap. I would sit and jump up. Whoo! Sometimes you put them back to bed, and it might have been a day or so later, but they got healed. They all got healed. 
I don't know if they learned anything themselves, but that's their business, not mine. But they got healed. After the second one, I don't think any of them ever had as much as an aspirin, ever. Again, what they do today is their business, but I know in those days, my reasoning was, why would I want to give to my child something when God has given me something better? And the only thing that would make me do the other way is because I look and I see what they're going through, and I see, I hear them, like that. I say, oh, because I move a whole lot more by what I see than by what I believe. But then you come to a place where you think, you know what? I am not going to base my faith and my mistrust in God on what I'm seeing or what I'm hearing. As best I can, I'm going to set all that aside and just count on God. Dancing in the kitchen floor one night with a convulsing child whose temperature was... If you'd have put one of them mercury filled, it would have gone like a gun. It wouldn't have, but it was high. Temperature was high. Dancing around, her convulsing. Acting like what God said is true. He said, he promised, he can't lie. Nothing is too hard for him. Therefore, what will I do? I will act like that's true. It doesn't look like it's true. What am I going to do now? The word of God isn't, it doesn't look like the word. Pick it up and act like the word's true. And I did, and he did. Would I encourage you to do that? It bothers me when anybody outside of myself believes God and trusts God because I think, oh, I hope you know what you're doing. But it never occurred to me, I hope I know what I'm doing. It's just I knew what I was doing because time had been spent Confirmation was in my heart, my conscience, my conviction, everything lined up. And it was easy. It wasn't easy to look and see what they were going through and look at all these conditions. But trusting God and talking about it today is my testimony. God doesn't have anything that's too hard for him to do. He said, I am the Lord, I cannot lie. Malachi 3, 6, I am the Lord, I lie not. If he said it, He'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. In this way, God wants to encourage us. Go back to Matthew chapter 8 again, if you've gone anywhere else. Because you see, not only is healing a promise, but healing is also in the atonement. That's what Jesus brought for us, the, the atonement. What a subject, the atonement. Everything from the Garden of Eden on that the devil brought on mankind. Jesus legally undid it all in the atonement. Amen. Well, let me see if I can find one here. Don't turn to this. Just enjoy this. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the atoner. He anointed him with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So I would say that from the garden of Eden on, from Adam and Eve, from the first sin, when they were put out of the garden because of sin, they were cast out of the garden. From that day on, 
the lordship of Satan over man's lives begin to show up in various ways. Poverty, mental problems, domestic problems, wars, violence, sickness. Throughout the Bible, all these things can be attributed one time or another. All a man's ills go back to the devil. All of them. It's an either or. And all the awful, grieving, sorrowful, disappointing things in our life, you can go back and see the devil's work. Whereas for us, all the goodness and the blessing and the triumphant joy that we should have, it all goes to God. But you see, the devil is the author. In Matthew chapter 8, the first three verses, talking about the atonement here, the first three verses, he talks about healing a leper. And then you'll find in verses 8 through 13 about the centurion, about that centurion's servant. And then chapter 14 and 15 was a mother-in-law. Well, get that right. It was your mother-in-law. She had a fever. And he cast it out of her. So it was an it, a somebody, a personality that was causing the headache and the head pains. Well, somebody said, well, God might put that on you just to teach you something. Well, then if Jesus cast it out, then he's fighting God. Sure is. If you had to turn to a section of scripture today to confirm that Jesus, in the atonement, undid all the works of Satan and made everything right for us, where would you find it? Isaiah 53. Would you go there for a minute? Isaiah chapter 53 and verses 4 and 5. Of course, for the unbelieving world today, we start at verse 1. Who has believed this? That's what the question God asked. Well, who believes what you're about to read? Who believes it? Is it just poetic, biblical language? Is it truth? Well, it could be. If it is, do you believe it? Will you live like it's true? Will you act like it's true? Will you talk like it's true? Well, it says in verse 4, surely... Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. We thought he was an imposter. We thought he was getting what he deserved, saying all the things he said about him and his father and the temple and all of that. He, he was despised and rejected of men. He didn't come to set the Jews free from Roman rule. So who is this guy? Well, get him out of here. Well, he's your king. They said, and it's still a curse on him today. We have no king but Caesar. Even the Jews will admit to that. Some of them, Messianic Jews will, that that still hangs over Israel today. We have no king but Caesar. And he goes on to say in verse 5, but in truth and in fact... He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we're healed. There are many in theological circles. I can't argue with all of this. 
who say that, well, the healing here was about the sickness of sin, which is mentioned many times in the Bible, you know, sin, sickness. In one way or another, it's defined, maybe not in those words, but like that, you know. So it certainly applied, the atonement certainly applied to the deliverance from sin, didn't it? I'm going to tell you something else. And whatever sin caused, it applied to that too. Now, if you can find anywhere in the Bible that the reason there is poverty is because of sin. The reason there is sickness is because of sin. There can be other reasons for sickness, but generally, all of our ills, all of them, us, me, all of us, our ancestors, all of our ills can be traced back many times to some sin in our life. A little sin. Doesn't have to be big, just a little thing. Something that we would never admit could be big enough or bad enough for me to have this. Just an attitude. It could be just an attitude. Just a, a quiet, kind, old, momentary disobedience to what God said. Just sitting here and saying, mm -mm, no way. That's all it might take. That's all it would take. I don't know the mechanics of all this. I don't know in what way a door is open specifically and what kind of spirit comes in. I just know that in some cases it has to be with infirmity. That's all I know. And so whenever that happens, when there's a spirit of infirmity, which Jesus dealt with many times. He talked about blind spirits, remember that? Deaf spirits, dumb spirits, unclean spirits, things that cause all kinds of problems. Those were spirits, lunatic spirits, palsied spirits. There was an unlimited number, you can read between the lines, of maladies that man has today that Jesus healed with his word, touching them, or go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, or go show yourself to the priest, or be it unto you according to your faith. He healed them all. He healed all of them. But he did that because it was stated in the Old Testament that he was our deliverer, and in verse 6, it said, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And if iniquity was a door open to all my physical problems, let me tell you something. I say this back to the devil when he comes around. You have no right to put on me what Jesus has taken away from me and delivered me from. You cannot put that back on me. I will not receive that. I draw my sword. I speak to the things you can't see. Because I know they're out there. I know they listen. I've learned that. So this is the way it works. In the atonement, everything that befell mankind, everything that ruined and brought man down, everything that brought sorrow and grief into his life, in verse 4, as well as those two words can also mean sickness, weakness, and infirmity. They all go together. It's a package. Not only did the devil bring a package, but Jesus brought the package. Everything the devil did, Jesus undid. I am free in Christ. Galatians 3 says, so that the blessing of Abraham may come upon me. Because the blessing of Abraham has replaced the curse. In fact, in fact, that is so important. Let me read it. You can listen to it if you want to. In Galatians chapter 3, listen at these words. 
Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ has redeemed Tom Hamilton from the curse of the law. You can put your name here if you want to. Most, again, and I don't mean this as a put down. I don't. But most Christians have no clue what is meant by the curse of the law. And yet all 60-some verses of it are clearly defined in Deuteronomy 28. It's there. Just read it. Cursed shall you be. Cursed shall you. And the, the reason for the curse is rejecting God. I'm telling you, the world is under a curse. Religious world's under a curse. They have turned their backs on a lot of things that God said. And God clearly said, okay, if you don't want this, this is what you get. Let me read something. Just want to read this. I like the Bible. I read in Deuteronomy 28 this particular verse, and I remember my heart saying, this is why people have to have insurance. This is why they are in dire straits because of insurance. He said, this is a curse. He said, and thy life shall hang in doubt before thee. And thou shalt fear day and night and have none assurance of thy life. That's a curse. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 66. And thy life shall hang in doubt before thee. And thou shalt fear day and night and have none assurance of thy life. So we as caring people say, well, why doesn't God do something? Read the first 15 verses. He already has. Read the New Testament. He already has. When we come and say, well, why doesn't God do something? He raised Jesus from the dead, and in him, in him, all promises are. He was spoken of in the Old Testament. He was seen in the New Testament. The whole Bible is about him. He said, you read the scriptures to the Old Testament saints. He said, in them you think you have eternal life. He said, they testify of me. All the promises of God are yes. To the Jews only? No, to Abraham and his seed. Not seeds, plural, but to his seed. Who is his seed? One, Christ. And if you are in Christ, all those promises that were made aforetime are also yours today. Nothing is left out. It's just whether or not we want to listen, pay attention, and if we do that much, if we really want to believe it. That's why we're here, to find out what he says so we can believe it. Now, he said in Galatians 3, again, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is every man that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. And I assure all of you this, except for maybe one of you, you're a Gentile. So he's talking to us and he's talking to her too. <laughs> that the blessing of Abraham may come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ in whom all the promises are. Yes. Are they not? Amen. That we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith. Well, that's probably why they don't get it. They have not the spirit. Now, if that's true, is there any confirmation of Isaiah in the New Testament? Matthew 8. 
You remember we were there in Matthew 8 a while ago. I don't know why you left, but we were in Matthew chapter 8. And just listen to this. Matthew 8. Wonderful verse. Verse 16, when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils or demons. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed most of them that were sick. Well, then who started this business that God doesn't want to heal all of us? If God doesn't heal today and he doesn't want to heal, think of how many doctors are fighting against God trying to get man healed. Look at how many people are in trouble with God because they're trying to get healed when God wants them sick. How foolish men think today and how foolish they have read these scriptures and how foolish are their conclusions when they don't agree with God. But he said, he cast out the spirits with his word, healed all that were sick, verse 17, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. That's what Jesus did, specifically healing the human body of its ills, whether mental or physical. Let me tell you something, folks. We legally are free. Everybody in this room, you are legally free. All you need to do now is believe what he said and press in. Press in. I said, well, what if we die? Die pressing. Press in. Press in. Now, not only has God set us free, but in the New Testament message about that, he's put gifts in the church. One of the gifts in the church, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, are gifts of healings. They're both plural. Gifts, plural, of healings, plural. Gifts of healings. He put that in the church. That's not all he put in the church. In James chapter 5, 15, he says, if any among you sick, let him call who? The elders. If he has a degree, call the elders of the church. No, he said, call the elders of the church, and what will they do? They will anoint him with oil. And you ought to read what some commentaries say about oil. The oil had a medicinal effect. You know, it's like drinking some wine for your stomach will heal your stomach. Well, if that was the case, there'd be a bunch of winos in the church. They'd be drinking all the time. Got a good belly, though. <laughs> But he said that he anoints them with oil. He said the prayer of faith. That's what your Bible says. I don't have to add anything to that and get you mad. All I got to do is read it. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick and, and if they have committed sins, they will be forgiven. These things don't just come causelessly. There's a reason for these things. That's not all. The Bible said in Mark 16, these signs shall follow those who believe. You have ministry gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. You got what the elders do, and then you got what each one of you can do. These signs shall follow those who believe. Do you believe? Then you, according to God's word, you, if you believe, you can lay hands on the sick. And God said the sick will recover. 
That's what he said. That's all I got. And I need no more. For that is divine and that is holy. So then, in closing this morning, as I stated somewhere earlier in this message, God requires something of us. There are conditions to promises. And the first thing that he requires of us is one that we've spoken on a number of times, is faith. Turn to Hebrews 4. Unto us was the gospel, the good news, preached as well as unto them in the Old Testament. But the word they heard did not profit them, did not benefit them. I'm thinking that the same thing is true in this modern era right now as I speak today. In this intellectually advanced age, the same simple truth is not heeded. Unto them was the good news preached, the same as unto us. But the word they heard did not profit them. Why? Because they didn't mix faith with it. It won't profit us if we don't mix faith with it. Say, well, what is faith? Been pursuing that for 40 years. I think it's that important. What does God not base on faith? Salvation, that's as big as it gets is on faith. All the benefits of salvation, all the things that are under the heading of salvation, it's all by faith. Paul was preaching in Ephesus once and he saw a man there who had a need. You remember the story and Paul looked at this man and gazed at him intently and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said unto the man, why didn't he say his things to everybody else? Maybe he knew they didn't believe it yet. It didn't keep him from preaching tomorrow and the next week and the week after because faith comes by hearing. If I keep preaching, some more are going to get it. But that guy right there has got it. He said, stand up right on your feet. Bang, up he went. They tore a roof off once in Mark chapter 2. They tore a roof off during the message. And they lowered a man right down into the meeting. <laughs> into the meeting. And the meeting hall was not a hall. It was a home, so it was a little bitty thing. It wasn't very big. It was jam-packed, and it might have been twice the size of this stage. I don't know. And when Jesus looked up, what does the Bible say he saw? He saw their faith. Certainly he saw an invalid or he saw an infirm soul. Of course he did. But what he saw was what they were doing to get him down where he was. They believed if they could get him down there, just like that centurion, just like that leper, just like that Syrophoenician woman, if we can get to Jesus, we got it. And Jesus looked up at him and said, son, thy sins be forgiven. He goes back to that connection again. They said, who can forgive sins but God? He said, what's easier to say, be healed or be forgiven? I mean, they go together. And up he came. And he came out of there and he was okay. He saw their faith. It's required of us. We can get real giddy about this message. We can flower it up and talk about it and whoopee do it. But what it comes right down to, you sitting there this morning, or you who listen, what it comes right down to is, do you believe it? Do you really believe it? You, do you really believe while you're sitting there with what's going on and what you know and what you're aware of, you really believe you're healed? 
You really believe they can be healed? If you don't, you can't pray for them. Prayer of faith heals the sick, not a prayer of hope. A prayer of want to, a prayer of, oh, God. It's a prayer of faith. Do you believe? You can. The word spoken is for whoever wants to hear it. Not everybody will believe it. Why not you? Believe it. Accept as true what God has said. Take it to your heart. Verbalize it. That is, speak it. Say this, I receive the word of God and the power of the word in my life in Jesus' name. If he sent his word and healed them and he sent his word to give faith, then faith and healing go together. But what one does fixes the other. I mean, if I have faith, then I'm going to be healed. That's what he has promised me. Not only that, but he said you got to forgive. If there's one thing in a person's life that can knock out his faith and bring extreme disappointments to your life, it's how you have an attitude towards somebody else. How you relate or don't relate to somebody else. You may have a prejudice against black people or Hispanics or green people or white people. You may just have had an experience once in which some other culture or ethnic personality offended you or did something wrong to you or somebody abused you or there was a rape in your family or some kind of some awful thing and how that scarred your life. And how there's a bitterness in your heart when you think about that or those people or you see somebody like that. And it's a root of bitterness and it will kill faith. It's like an iron wall between you and God. Mark 11. It's an iron wall. That sounds good. It'll prevent your faith. It'll keep you from enjoying what God has for you. One of those wonderful verses of scripture, Mark eleven twenty three, speak to the mountain, not doubt in your heart. Verse 24, what things ever you desire. You, I know you know those well. And right after he said that, just like the Sermon on the Mount prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know what he ended that with saying? Forgive. The next verse after that, this prayer is nullified unless you have Forgiveness in your heart towards anybody, him, her, them, that, they, forgiveness. In Mark 11, verse 25, and when you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought or unforgiveness, ill will against any, A-N-Y, that your Father which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. You're still in your sins. There's that word sin again, and what it does, it's a block. It's an iron wall between a man and God. Isaiah 59 and verse 2, it's an iron wall. I cannot afford to have resentment against anybody. I've been spared as a pastor. I've been spared evil comments by people through the years. I haven't had to put up with, with the gossip. 
you know, you get that. You don't have to be a preacher to get that. You can just try hard to do well and somebody will find fault with you. But I've heard stuff through the years that have been said by people. The healthiest thing I have learned that you can do is what Jesus did on the cross. With the very people that were killing him, spitting in his face, esteeming him, stritting, smicking of God, you fraud, hitting him, pulling his hair out, mocking him, rebuking him, and he hung on a cross. You know what he said? Father, forgive them. Isn't that amazing? For they know not what they do. And I can look at people that have offended me just like you can look at people who have offended you. Maybe it's an ex-husband, wife, or a child that robbed you of your savings and took off, or the neighbor that sued you, the drunk that caused the accident, and all of the things that people are just angry about. You can say this. One, if they knew Jesus, this would have never happened. And secondly, it's for me to forgive these people, for they are poor people. They are in darkness. They're not going to heaven. I am, and I'm not going to get down on their level and act like them and hope they get what they deserve. I'm going to say, Father, forgive them. Forgive my neighbor. Forgive my brother, sister, parents. Parents. Preacher. Forgive him, Lord. All I'm saying is that we have no capacity as Christians to have ill will or resentment, ugly prejudice against anybody, not your president, not your neighbor, not terrorists in Mideastern countries. You as a Christian must realize that these people are without Christ. And were it not for Christ, you would be like them. So, I want to encourage you as you leave this morning, as you walk out the door, I want you to go with a smile and say, you know what, I know, I know that God is true, and I'm going to be able to say with great extreme certainty that I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he's going to do all those things, he said. Amen. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name. May the blessing of the richness of your word rest upon your people. May truth settle in each one of our hearts this morning. May it cause growth of this seed, which is your word. May we have our eyes to be open to see things like you see things. And as we sing a song to be like Jesus, may we begin to realize that's your goal for us, to be like him. And I pronounce deliverance and healing over any and everybody in this room who is going through something or a condition exists in your body. I renounce that from this place. In the name of Jesus, you are healed. Anything that doesn't function right must now begin to function right. And if there is a need, O oh God, for our faith to be quickened, then I believe that that happens too. But we have been delivered, and we are free in Christ. And I thank you for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm glad you came, but we're not done. Would you stand to your feet?
Amen. But we can, before we go home, give a little moment of thanks to God. If nothing else, thank him for his word. It's going to work. Amen. Do it. Amen. Surely he has borne our disease. Surely he has carried our pain. And by his stripes, by his stripes, by his stripes I am healed. Yes, surely he has borne our disease. Surely he has carried our pain, and by his stripes, by his stripes, by his stripes I am healed. Oh, surely, 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 surely.